Welcome, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we're so passionate about. So, Haley, welcome to another episode. Woohoo! <laughs> now, you just finished a day taking pictures. I did. I was helping out with photo retakes, but you know, it was really special because um, our school, our school does start with 18 month old kids. And so we just got our first snowfall of the year and I was grumbling about it all morning. And I, you know, you wake up and you see the snow and you're like, oh crap. And it's the first, it's the first snowfall. So it's like, oh, I got to figure out where the brush is for the car and my, my, my. But then I get to school and all of these kids, like I think I heard probably about a dozen times from different age groups of these tiny, tiny little elementary age and younger. Wow, it's snowing. Did you know that it's snowing? Did you know that? Look, it's snowing. I hope we get a play outside. <laughs> and so, you know, you just learn to, you know, appreciate it a little bit more because they just love, they love the snow and they, you know, you know, it's a different perspective. I don't have How to do we lose that sense of wonder, hey? Uh, I guess real life gets in the way. <laughs> Driving a car, having to drive. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It was cute. <laughs> well, speaking of real life, we are going to talk today about the anatomy of power. So you are the one who brilliantly uh, suggested this topic. So I'm really curious as to what your yeah. interest is in this topic. Well, I find it very fascinating. A big passion of mine too is is especially when when looking at um, power in terms of privilege. Um, it's sort of where I, I sort of started getting interested in this, um, especially now, like we've been talking a lot about, you know, race and gender and, you know, uh, culture and ethnicity. Um, and how, you know, dominant cultures and dominant identities can have power and have had power systemically and systematically for centuries. Uh, and how is it that these 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 groups of people through no fault of their own, just through luck of the draw with the circumstances they're born in, uh, take their power back? Um, and these systems of power are so ingrained in our world, in our society, in all types of ways, everything from you know, um, supports available for people with disabilities to, um, you know, men dominating a workplace to, um, you know, the, the fact that we always just celebrate, you know, we have a high Indian population at our school, um, and Diwali is mentioned, but it's not celebrated the way Christmas is, even though I would argue there are far more, um, people who celebrate Diwali than, than people who religiously celebrate the, like the religious element of Christmas at our school. Um, and so, you know, just, I just have always been fascinated in this and, and recognizing these systems and what privilege, um, you know, gives in terms of a perspective and lack thereof. Um, and so I listened to this podcast recently, um, uh, called Invisibilia by NPR, um, I, they, they talk a lot about psychology and culture and, and interactions with, with people in day-to-day -day life. Um, and so I've been listening to them for a long time. And one of their recent episodes uh, was called uh, Power Tools. So it looks about uh, ways to empower people in the workforce. So um, it's their episode from October 7th. So I listened to this uh, and I, I realized, you know, like there's a lot to chat about with this. And, and so yeah, so I'm just, you know, I especially, you know, dad working with, you know, lots of different corporations and different employees and disgruntled employees and uh, disempowered bosses. And I was just wondering what you thought. So I passed this this podcast on to you. Um, and uh, what did what did you take away from it? Well, it was very uh, thought provoking and 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 reflective. And there's certainly no 
definitive mm -hmm. answers about this whole issue of power. But I think it's something that we all need to be conscious of. Mm -hmm. We need to be aware. Where is there power in my life? Where is there an abuse of power? Mm -hmm. uh, now, you, I want to hear about some of your thoughts that you've learned about um, collective power, mm -hmm. racial power, mm -hmm. gender power. I'm today in my work is really focused on personal power, interpersonal mm -hmm. relationships. But I would be curious, here we are, two white privileged mm -hmm. individuals who grew mm -hmm. up in Canada. Mm -hmm. What what do we need to hear about power? What do you know about collective power? I think, I mean, this is a, a big topic. I really, really endeavor to teach a lot with students. And I and I recognize that sadly it's quite a controversial topic, um, especially if there are listeners in the States. The idea of you know, critical race theory is a very, very hot topic right now. And, and, um, and with comes with it a lot of, of, of criticism and controversy. Um, and, and how do you teach people to be empowered? Uh, number one, number two, how do you teach people to share the power? Uh, and then number three, how do you teach people to give power up, to take a step back to, to make way for other people to feel that power? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I'll take gender, um, for example, is, you know, I, I feel very confident speaking about that. Um, and it, it, it interact and I interact with it quite often in, in, you know, teaching teenagers and working with a lot of men, um, that it's a very interesting one when dealing with particularly teenage boys, for instance, um, is that, you know, when it comes to women's issues. Um, so I, I know I had mentioned this a, a little while back about these two girls in computer science who just didn't feel like they were valued in their class, uh, which was primarily men. And I, I know I've mentioned this on that podcast before, but, you know, how do you tell those teenage boys to recognize the power that they have to relinquish some of that power and to step aside to, to empower the, the girls? Um, you know, in a way that, that doesn't, because as soon as you, you ask them to do that, the instant response is that's not fair. Well, why should like, you know, that's not fair. We you know we're, we're, you know, we're just has just have the right to be here. So, so recognizing the importance of privilege and, and, and all of the, the, the advantages that come with that is, is a really hard thing to swallow when you grew up with privilege. It's, it's one of those, those pieces that you don't recognize that you have it until, you know, you're, you're talking to somebody who doesn't. Um, and so it's a very, very fascinating topic that, uh, I'm, I'm really curious about. So we're, we're all blind. Mm -hmm. We all have a backside, a dark side that we don't see, and we don't see what we don't see. Mm -hmm. So the work of authenticity is to explore deeply these one of the fundamental topics like power, mm -hmm. like authority, mm -hmm. and be aware and be open to, to understanding how we're using power in no matter what we do. It's naive to think otherwise. So it's about a, for me, it's about a holistic approach to understanding ourselves in the broad spectrum of the human experience. So as we explore this, this is my notion of power. Everything takes power. You, you showing up here today took power 
You made some decisions. That's power. You cannot not have power. It's the use of power. Now, most of us have been hurt, abused, uh, traumatized by people who are in a position of power. Mm -hmm. Parents, teachers, religious leaders. Mm -hmm. Say that. Boyfriends, girlfriends. Yeah, exactly. And so we have a very jaded idea of power if we have been abused by power, because it's very easy for most of us to see power as something to be afraid of. So when you get a promotion in an organization, at one level, you actually don't get power, you get more accountability. But it's naive to think that you don't get it when you get into a position, and this is my experience working in corporations, when you get into a into a position of power, um, if you depend on that position to give you power, it's you're on very thin ice in this day and age. So uh, Margaret Thatcher, who I think it's ironic that a leader, the former prime minister of Great Britain, would give this quote, but she said, "Being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't." So if I had a, I had a, I coached a CEO once who, who said, I never promote anybody into a position of leadership until they've spent six months working and managing volunteers. So power is this ability in the, in a leadership context. It's the ability to influence. It's the ability to earn trust. It's the ability to gather people together. When you walk into your classroom, you require power to organize that class, to create an environment in there as the positional leader in that class. Now, if you depend on that, his his philosophy, this particular CEO's philosophy, was that he wants to see people influence people without a title. Mm. Can Can your power be a personal power that you come through your ability to connect, your ability to be vulnerable, your ability to instill trust in others, empower people to give your power away. And when we, and he said, I've never give people, if if they can't influence people without a title, there's no way I'm going to give them a title. Because if you depend on your title for power, that means you don't have a sense of your own personal power. And without a sense of your, and, and in many ways, power in my words, is related to your worth. So if you don't feel worthy, what you will do is you will rely on external power to give that to you. Now, at times, as a parent, as a teacher, you have to step in and you have to exercise your power and you have to say, no, this is the way it's being done because I'm, I have accountability. That's the position that I have. And I'm going to step in, and this is the way it's going to be done. Sometimes you have to be the boss. But if you depend on that for power, you will lose your credibility in this day and age because we have become conscious. In the previous generation, you could use your your positional power to get people to do things because people were not near as conscious as they are today. 
But in this day and age, you have to be really self-aware about how, how am I using my position as a way of, of carrying power and using power because I don't feel powerful in, my, in, in myself. I don't feel confident in myself. If you're really insecure, the, the worst thing you can do is to promote an insecure leader and, and, and give a, an insecure person a position of power. Because then they will use their power as a way of feeling secure. So, so those are some of my reflections. Love to hear your reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought there's sort of two things that were, were interesting that I thought listening to this podcast. So I think number one, uh, so they reference in this podcast, a man named Jeffrey Pfeiffer, um, who is a professor at Stanford Business School. And he teaches this course called Path to Power. Uh, And he goes in there and he talks about power in terms of the corporate world as a game that you have to play. Um, And in order to actually change the system, you have to play by the rules of the system, no matter how ugly the system is. So treating people like resources and, um, you know, making like bragging um, and being overly confident and and playing up your successes and not being like not being humble um, and getting making sure that you're recognized for it. Right. And you know, making sure you're staying late on the days when it will be noticed, not on all days, but the days when you know you'll be noticed. Um, and so, and the 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 podcast discusses this invisibilia. Uh, they discuss this this approach to power. Um, and and initially, they're quite highly critical of it. It seems unethical, and it seems to, you know, very like you know, we tend to view it as arrogant or selfish. Um, but the the way that this this podcast goes on to describe it is that's the only way you make real change is by taking on these power but it's by playing the game with these power rules in order to get there um you have to play by the rules so i thought about that a little bit and i was thinking about you know the how 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 i think i would really struggle in that kind of world because these are just you know these ethical values are ones that i hold very close to me and i would rather sacrifice corporate power uh, in order to keep those values the same. I think I would just struggle with that. I struggle with bragging. I struggle not to, you know, this is not a humble brag, but I, I you know, I, I find myself very, like, it's very uncomfortable to brag. Um, and I, I don't want to use people in order to get that power. But I mean, sp- speaking to, you know, I work with a lot of, you know, people who work in the corporate world and, you know, have, or lawyers and things like that. That is essential to work in and to get those kind of promotions in that kind of highly competitive environment. And so, you know, is it, I, I don't know, what do you think about that, Dad? What did you think about that that path to power class? What are your thoughts? Well, what he's talking about there is knowing the context that you're living in. Mm-hmm. I think it's wrong to say that, to blanket all corporate cultures as being the same. Mm. Every culture every organization has a different culture. And so if you're in a culture that requires you to play political games, that requires you to um, play the system, to manipulate people, I think what's really important is to ask yourself, is this the values of this organization, the values of this company, are they aligned enough with my values and make mm-hmm. that explicit your game that you're going to choose to say, if I'm going to make an impact in this culture, I have to play this particular game. And if you're conscious of it and aware of it, and that you are open to seeing the dark side of it, I think you're good. 
it's just like if you mm -hmm. want to make a difference in Canada, if you want to make a difference, that's going to require a different strategy than if you live in India. You, there's mm -hmm. a different culture, so that you you have to you have to be willing. This is if I want to make an impact, I better know the rules of the system that I'm working and living in, mm -hmm. and then make that decision consciously, so that you're not blind as we probably are anyway, that you're not blind to the fact that you're maybe having to give up some of your values in order to make a, a difference here. So you have to evaluate and you come up against, you come up against a rub with your values. You're, if your values don't come in conflict with each other, you're probably not pushing them enough. So what you're talking about is pushing up against your own value system. And all I'm saying to stay authentic is to stay aware of what that is required in the particular environment that you work in if but to say i'm going to if i'm going to make an impact in this particular company this is the game i'm going to have to play and you do it consciously so i'm repeating myself but i is that clear yeah i think so yeah the other thing i was thinking about with power that was kind of hitting the news this week i don't know if you caught wind of this dad with all the verified blue ticks on twitter did you hear about this hilarious so also incredibly dangerous so on one hand you know i gotta laugh about it because if you don't laugh it's it's incredibly terrifying um but for those of you who are living under a political rock right now um basically what i think is fascinating in terms of power uh is that you have you know, this incredibly wealthy individual, Elon Musk, who purchases Twitter. And he comes in and one of the biggest changes he, he starts to make right from the from the get-go is he uh, allows the blue verified check mark has always been used on Twitter to sort of certify that this person is legitimate. This is the legitimate, you know, president of the United States Twitter account, right? Or this is the legitimate, you know, Canadian Canada Post, what have you. Um, and so that that verified check mark has only been done after a bunch of vetting through Twitter to prove that you are the real deal with celebrities, businesses, corporations, governments, organizations, things like that. And so what Elon Musk came in and said was, well, you know what, let's democratize it uh, and monetize it. And, you know, all of a sudden he says, OK, if you pay eight dollars, you get that blue check for free and mayhem ensued. Uh, it completely turned into such a massive joke, but it had real life consequences. So all of a sudden, all these people now are are putting the verified check mark down. They're they're changing their their Twitter names, uh, and they're tweeting as Elon Musk himself. They're tweeting as the government of Canada. They're tweeting as um, Chiquita Banana Company overthrowing Brazil. Like they're 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 having these these insane tweets. But one I thought was fascinating was. Um, Eli Lilly is an American pharmaceutical company that manufactures a lot of diabetes medication. Uh, and they've been under fire a lot lately for the rising cost of these, these essential drugs for, for people suffering from diabetes and heart disease and things like that and profiting off of it. Cause this is a company that's worth, you know, millions, of, if not billions of dollars. Uh, but what had happened was uh, somebody changed their name to Eli Lilly and co added the blue verified check Mark and tweeted that insulin is now free. And that cost Eli Lilly potentially as much as millions of dollars. 
um, just by by coming out here and taking that power back. And so on one hand, I think it's hilarious and and fascinating. On the other hand, it's incredibly terrifying because that kind of power in the wrong hands because is, is atrocious and you know what that does for credibility of, of sources and things like that. Um, but I thought it was just a very fascinating, pertinent, uh, st pertinent study on on power this week of of you know number one this 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 incredibly wealthy man purchasing this incredibly powerful social media tool number two these individuals uh, taking on the role of these these organizations with the blue check mark and then number three having these authentic consequences for it fascinating well it is fascinating and and it is a great example I think in an age of information in an age of social media. Mm -hmm. Power has certainly been dispersed, mm -hmm. and it's not it's not so much at the top anymore. It's it's how we can organize ourselves at any level mm -hmm. to exercise power. Mm -hmm. Again, the question becomes: Is Twitter mm -hmm. the tool that I want to use to be powerful in the world? Mm -hmm. Do I want to use that particular tool to? influence people. And my definition of power is the ability to influence people and create results and earn trust. Is that the tool you want to use? And if it is, then you have to play the game and you play the political game to, to use that tool as a way of impact. It's not my, I mean, I will tweet from time to time, but it's not my tool of impact. Um, so no matter what. So I, I, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm using LinkedIn as a way of making impact. Mm -hmm. So as, as, as a social media tool. So there's a whole set of rules that I'm learning just for the first time about how to increase logarithms on LinkedIn and what length of posts, what length should your articles be, what your hashtags should be, what kind of comments do you want to make? Well, that's that's a game. And mm -hmm. because I'm going to use that as my social media platform, primarily, I better understand the rules of the game. And I'm going to use that game, but not because it compromises my fundamental values. Um, what it does is it, it leverages my message. So I'm going to use, I'm going to learn all I can about how I can use that, leverage that message to the best that I, of my ability. When you're standing in front of the classroom, there's a set of rules that 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 you need to follow in order to have power with as a teacher within that mm -hmm. classroom. And if you were instructed to operate with a different set of rules that compromised your values, you would not stay teaching in that classroom. You require mm -hmm. power as mm -hmm. a teacher, but mm -hmm. it's if you rely on your positional power as a teacher to say, I'm the teacher, now do what I told, tell you to do because I have the power here. You all, I think you know that's not going to no. cut it in this day and age. No. Teenagers have, ask me it, why. It might have been three gen, two generations ago, but certainly not today. Why so, are we studying Shakespeare, Haley? Why? Why are we <laughs> studying Shakespeare? Why is this still relevant? Well, not just because I told you to, but I have to answer that. <laughs> so what do you use to have power in a classroom. So you're uh, trying to influence the teaching of those. What does power mean as you for you as a teacher? Um, 
the modeling is a huge one. Uh, I can't tell kids to put their phone away if I myself am on my phone. So modeling that kind of behavior, right? Like it has to, when, when, when change happens or, or consistency happens at a level of an organization, it has to happen at all levels. So, you know, you know, it has to happen with, you know, the, the teenagers and it has to happen among staff and it has to happen, you know, between staff and students. So, um, recognizing that all levels in an organization have to, with, with change or values or consistency, it has to happen at all levels. You can't just have it on one or the other. Um, so modeling behavior is a big one. Um, the other one too, is, as I think valuing and engaging, and I think this is also just a responsibility, not just a, you know, how to have power. Um, but if empowering those, you know, students around me as well to ask these questions, to ask why, to be engaged in these conversations, to, you know, to offer their opinion and to value their opinion um, is, is hugely important. And also in turn, then if they feel valued, then they will value you and they'll value why they're there. Um, but yeah, I think those are, and I think that's applicable anywhere. Like I, I would argue that was the same when I worked in customer service, um, and at the, you know, in, in sports clubs and, and it's all the same, it's all the same technique, right? Valuing people and modeling the behavior you want to see and not being afraid of asking for help and admitting when you can't, like when the power is too much, admitting when you need to take a step back, admitting when you need to take a day off, admitting when, you know, it's too many, too much responsibility and admitting when you've made a mistake. Um, Cause I think that's, uh, that's hugely important too. So building relationships, affirming people, valuing yep. people, yep. these are all ways that you actually gain power as a teacher. Mm -hmm. and, and also too, when I see students who have, I hate to call it popularity, but the students who have that social cred uh, and a lot of social clout within the school, those are the students that that have that. They're the ones who can build relationships. They're the ones who value others. They're the ones who, um, you know, truly listen to other people and ask questions and, and, and are just really likable that way. Right. And so, so it's, you know, it's how they are able to, to make friends that work that way too. But in another context, for mm -hmm. example, you may be working in a corporation that didn't share those values mm -hmm. and that your way of having power in another culture would be a different strategy, a different right. game. I right. couldn't live in those kind of cultures. I've worked in them as consult as a consultant. Right. And I, you know what, I, I will try to impact their values and try to influence, but there's, I didn't have any power in that system because I wasn't willing to play the game. And so therefore yeah. I didn't last as a consultant and I've mm -hmm. learned that that's okay. I just need to know what my values are and what kind of an environment that I need to work in, in order to have con a, a, a power in the context that I'm working in. Exactly. I don't want to work 12 hour days, so I'm not going to become a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> you know, those are just not the, the worlds that I want to live in. I want to be able to have work-life balance. I don't want to play that game, right? I don't want to, you know, have to come in and command a big group of people and have them trust me. I don't want that, right? I'll, I'll stick with teenagers and occasionally the odd little tiny little elementary bean. <laughs> well, you know, there's certainly no answers. Mm -hmm. uh, we've just raised probably a whole new set of questions. <laughs> uh, you're maybe as confused as ever, but hopefully now you're confused on a higher level and about more important yeah. things. So Makes I hope that we've raised some discussions. We've provoked yeah. you. We've made you think about, hey, how what does power mean in your own life? We'd love to hear from you. We'd love mm -hmm. to hear if this generated any insights or any any uh, further questions. And uh, I do want to just, you know, big shout out to NPR's Invisibilia as well. Uh, if you're interested in psychology, relationships, dynamics between people, uh, take a listen to uh, Invisibilia. So. 
Well, as we wrap this episode up, what are we grateful for, Haley? Oh, a wonderful question. Uh, tiny humans. I do like working with, I like working with more slightly less, or sorry, I guess slightly less tiny humans, uh, teenagers. Um, but it has been a, a complete joy this week to be able to work a little bit more with the tiny humans as we, sadly, we've had a lot of absences. I think just, you know, the RSV and COVID and the, and the flu have been going around. So we've got a, a lot of our colleagues are out sick, but it means that I get the opportunity to, to, to step in and play with the little kids every now and again. So that's what I'm grateful for, to be able to see a new perspective through little, little tiny kids. Um, and I'm also grateful for, you know, these, these Wednesday nights when we record this on Wednesdays is it's always just great to catch up with you, dad. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Yes. Our busy lives. This is a <laughs> rare opportunity that you and I get a chance to actually talk to each other. Yeah. And I'm grateful for being raised by parents who, even though they had their own pain, uh, they really did value personal power mm. over positional power. And they never used and abused their power um, as parents um, deliberately to, to manipulate uh, us as, as kids. And that we were honored for who we were, um, not from the position that we had. So uh, I'm grateful for that. Now, I had, you know, an abuse of power in other areas in my life, but at least my parents modeled that, uh, that, that sense of personal power and valuing the human being. And uh, even though I, it's hard to articulate, uh, I'm very grateful for my upbringing. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Well, on that note, stay real. We'll see you next episode. Take care.